Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. my talk. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Well, it is great to be here. And um, uh, we're going to be looking, if you've got a Bible, at Acts chapter 19. And this is the story of Paul planting a church in Ephesus. And we're going to look at that story and um, explore it a little bit. So as we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your presence here with us. Thank you that in worship we encounter you. As we turn our faces towards you, you meet with us. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, as we read the scriptures, that you'd let them come alive to us, that you would connect into our hearts and our minds and our experiences, but you would put something in our hearts that is like a seed that um, bears fruit, that uh, germinates and comes to life. And we pray that you would, you would be speaking to us and uh, doing things in us that urge us on to follow you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, what I want to look at today is what happens, or well, asking this question, how can a region be transformed? How is it possible for a whole area to be transformed by Jesus Christ? And, um, you know, I've got a little map there of um, this area, and I'm not just thinking about Preston. I am thinking about Preston, but I'm thinking about the Northwest. You know, the whole area. How can it be transformed? So I, I love the, um, uh, I love history. And I love, uh, I've kind of really enjoyed exploring some of the history of church planting in this country. And effectively, there were two movements of church planting around the 6th, 7th centuries. One was um, in, by the inspiration of Pope Gregory the Great, who sent um, St. Augustine to uh, Canterbury, and he started planting churches, and they started planting churches, and those ones started planting churches, and um, swept all over the country in that movement of church planting over the next few centuries. But also there was another movement that came from the north, from um, St. Patrick, who'd um, sent, uh, kind of evangelised Ireland and then sent missionaries to Scotland. Um, Aidan was one of those and um, began to plant churches in, um, in Scotland. And then they sent a group of people, because a local king said, come um, to the northeast of England, to Lindisfarne, Holy Island. And that was their mission base. Um, so Aidan, Cuthbert, all those kind of people then started by foot, just going all over the country and just beginning to start um, sharing the gospel and planting new church communities. They did it in a completely different way. That was more like the Celtic church planting movement. And um, the, the church in this country is influenced by those two great movements of going to places where people needed to hear about Jesus. And they used slightly different approaches, but they said, actually, this is... Um, what's going to, what you need for life. And as a result, our nation was transformed. Um, it, it was um, not 
just through that, but actually the, the gospel in this country had a key part in uniting the nation um, and um, beginning to focus actually a, a way of life for the nation that um, is still in our laws and in our, in our practices today as a nation, even if the majority of the country aren't following Jesus. But now, because of numbers, you know, most people in Preston aren't in church this morning. Um, and so it's almost like there's a need to reconfigure re- in our minds, actually, is God calling us afresh to do something like they did before, but God wants to do it in a brand new way today? And so when we ask that question, how can this region be transformed? Let's look at um, Acts chapter 19 and see what happens to um, Ephesus and this region um, around the city. So Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. I'm going to read 21 verses, so settle in. It's a little bit of a story um, and um, enjoy. So, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They, they would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Just imagine them doing a film about that. Anyway, um, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I'm just going to leave it there. No, I'm going to read those next two verses just as like an, an afterword. After all this had happened... 
Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Archaea. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So, Ephesus. Where's Ephesus? Well, it's, um, if we um, just go to the map, please, thank you. So this is the Mediterranean, the kind of eastern edge of the Mediterranean, and Ephesus is here. So there. So you can see it, it's on the western edge of Turkey, what is Turkey today. And the province of Asia is like one third of Turkey. The left-hand edge of Turkey is the province of Asia. So it's not like Southeast Asia or Asia that we think of, like Thailand and Philippines and all that. No, it's not there. In these terms, Asia was this province. And so it's it's one third of Turkey. So when it's talked about here, it's talking about this particular area. And um, this was like a city that was on the western coast of Turkey. It was was, uh, a big city. It was dominated by... Um, by trade and so on. But there was one feature in the, in the city that was one of the seven wonders of the world, and it's this um, building, which was the Temple of Artemis. So it was like, um, I think they had some like 127 columns. It was this magnificent building on a hilltop that dominated the city. And so there was magic that was practiced. There was um, like... Uh, a cult worship, there were temple prostitutes, all this kind of activity was surrounding this temple um, that um, the city was very proud of and um, it, it, you know, the, the, all the practices of what went on, people would refer to it, all the businesses were orientated around this particular um, uh, building and it was um, the uh, it was kind of a pagan site that um, dominated that particular place um, what happened next in this story absolutely changed this city and caused even a riot that Paul needed to kind of get out of. That's um, in um, Acts chapter 20. And, um, or no, the end of 19, he has to kind of leave in chapter 20. So how was this whole region changed? Well, the first thing is that um, it was changed by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So in that first section of the story, we see Paul arriving at Ephesus, and then he meets with these 12 men, and he starts talking to them about Jesus. And they're, they're obviously kind of godly. They know um, about some of the ways of God, but they haven't heard about Jesus. They've heard of John's baptism, but not um, Jesus. And so their hearts are open already. And he tells them about Jesus, and then they uh, say, well, yes, we want to follow Jesus. And they get baptised. And it's, a, it's like a small group. It's like one of your groups that you're going to talk about. Um, you're going to, um, as part of the life of this church. These 12 people, Paul takes them into the synagogue. And his practice was always when he went to places in, um, around the Roman world when he was um, doing his travels, he would go into a synagogue, first of all, because he was a Jew. He would speak about um, Jesus and then um, they'd either accept him or, like here, some of them didn't like it. So then he moved into like the next door hall and began to um, talk, um, began to start helping people to follow Jesus um, in what's called the way, the way of Jesus. And here um, we see Paul beginning to make disciples. 
So what he's doing is he's picking up on Jesus' commands. Remember at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So this is Jesus' mandate to his disciples. And Paul, who'd never met Jesus in the flesh, but met him personally in in his experience, is picking up this disciple-making process and saying, I'm going to do that with these people I've met in Ephesus. And if they won't accept me in the synagogue, I'm going to move next door and we're going to make disciples and we're going to help them to grow in their faith. That's what's actually going on here. And um, just look, if you've got a Bible, Acts 20, verse 31, we see here, this is um, Paul's uh, recollections when he says goodbye to the, um, to the leaders of Ephesus. He says this, um, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So he is investing in these Christians with his life, with tears, with encouragement, with admonition, with um, just investing himself in helping them to grow as disciples. So um, very briefly, uh, you know, they, uh, Sam and Hannah drew it out of me. When, uh, when I first, um, my faith came alive when I was 19 years old, um, someone, a guy called Kevin, every morning for three weeks went through the book of 1 John with me. I didn't realise this, but we, we, we got up at seven in the morning. I was a student. I thought that's what Christians did. Um, <laughs> no one else was awake in the university. Uh, but we went through, and he taught me how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to, um, how to begin start applying the scriptures to my life, and how to wrestle with the word of God, and, and how my experience needed to kind of come under the authority of Jesus in, in that um, process. He then handed me on to um, a friend who, called Tim, who um, continued that work, just investing in me every morning, just um, looking at the scriptures, praying. And uh, we then, uh, we ended up sharing a house together, and we continued that not so much um, uh, together at 7am because he was a history student so um, uh, I was an engineer so I had to get up early <laughs> um, but just that daily immersion in the scriptures and, and my encouragement from them was to start telling other people and helping them to grow in their faith and so there's a guy called Simon who um, I began to start reading with and praying with and talking to and after a term he became a Christian and he started doing the same with others and so this is my own personal experience and it's been something which has um, really helped me to grow as a Christian and I've seen that impact others as I've helped others and sometimes people say well how do you do that you know yeah you're a professional doing it well I wasn't a professional then I'm a professional disciple maker now you know I do get paid to do it Um, not much but I do get paid Um, and the thing is you know how do you actually disciple someone so the encouragement here is for every one of us to disciple someone and it, often it's just like saying, well, looking around, going, how can I encourage that person? It might be saying, let's have a coffee. And what might be a question I could ask? Well, how's, how are you doing with God? What's he doing in your life? What would you love him to see happen? What would you love to see him do in your life? And can I pray for that in you? Maybe looking at the Bible together and looking at some of the parables of Jesus or a story of Jesus and just a few verses and saying, what does that say to you? This is what it says to me. There can be some very, very simple things that we can do. And groups is probably the place to start if you haven't done that before, where we can do that together. 
But I just want to show you the impact of what this means in practice. So here is, um, so I've done this for years and years, so um, I'm quite good at it, because I've practiced and practiced and practiced over like 30 years. Um, so you take one person who's really good at it, and say they spend um, their, their time investing in 10 people a year. And I invest in these 10 people one year, and then I say, fantastic, now I'm going to invest in 10 more the next year. And if I do that for 33 years, um, how many people will I have discipled? 330. Yes, well done. So it's not, it's not, it's not um, challenging maths at the moment, but it will be. It will be. So the thing I learned a few years ago was actually that Jesus said in that verse in Matthew 28, don't just make disciples teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And one of the things he said to them was make disciples. So we're not just to make disciples and live it there. We're taught to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. So let's just take an average person who says, I'm just going to do one person a year. I'm going to just invest in one person. And during that year, I'm going to help them the next year to do it themselves. So I'm going to help them not just be a disciple, but to make disciples themselves. And so how's that? Well, just have a coffee with someone and ask them those questions. So let's see what happens. So in the first year is me. Second year is me and this person. Third year, because both of us are doing it, that's four people. You got that? And then after that, us four, we all choose to disciple one person, so that'll be eight. And then the next year will be 16. And the next year, 32. After... Um, uh, five years, you've got uh, 16. After 10 years, you've got 512. So after 10 years, you're better with more people than the really, really good disciple. Disciple, yeah? You got that? So if you keep doing it like this, you get crazy numbers like uh, after 15 years, uh, 16,000. After 20 years, 524,000. After 25 years, 16 million. If, do you see? So it's not... If you do it for 33 years, you get 4 billion. Now, it obviously doesn't always work that way, but, but actually that's if we follow Jesus' way of doing it. It's called the geometric progression, if you like that kind of thing. I do, I love that kind of thing. But anyway, so it's not about experts. It's about normal people saying, actually, how can I help you to grow in your faith? And actually, as you do that, maybe you could help someone else. And so I'm going to help you and encourage you to do that. So here's a question. Actually, who could you encourage to grow in their faith? One person. Look around. It might start here. But it could be like um, this friend who did it with me. I wasn't in the church. And they said, would you like to come? And that really helped me. So look at what happens well, the thing we see is this method was clearly effective. So verse 10, it says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So all of them have heard. So obviously there's something effective in this method that, Je- uh, that Paul is using. And the second thing is it's effective in maturing disciples when we start helping other people to grow. I'll tell you why. That last verse is a kind of, you know, verse 21. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. So he was so clear that he's invested in others that he felt, okay, I can leave now. 
It's not dependent on me anymore. I've invested in them to invest in other people. And this is the thing, actually, we, we don't always need to be dependent on some because actually they're investing in us and we need to take responsibility to pass that on to others. So it was clearly effective. So the first way we see is it was transformed by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Second thing we see is they took their faith and made it public. They, they took their faith out into the public square. I know you're really good at this. You have a reputation. I don't know if you realize this, but as a church, you've impacted the local community here and word has got out. So um, thank you for all that you've done there. But we see the same thing happening here. Paul and that new church took the gospel out onto the streets. So we see, verse 11 and 12, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched them were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So there was healing on the streets. Um, We see non-Christians copying Christians in doing exorcisms. So, um, you know, these exorcists were clearly completely out of their depth because they got, you know, they got beaten up by the, these, overpowered by these people who were um, uh, uh, demonically Im- impacted. But the, the impact on the local community is really interesting. So verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, it's the kind of the general public, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Word had got out because they weren't keeping together in like a holy huddle, keeping things inside the church walls, they actually decided to take their faith out onto the streets, to go public with their faith. It's not that they're all evangelists like Paul, no. But they were just normal Christians who were just living their, their faith out in a more public way. And the result was the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. So people, it's an amazing story, people are becoming Christians. They're confessing their sins in public. Um, these magicians and sorcerers, remember the, the, the temple worship of uh, the Temple of Artemis? So that practice, um, they started repenting of that practice and turning towards Jesus. And these magicians, or the people who are kind of involved in this kind of cultic practice, they brought their scrolls out um, and burnt them in public. And that, you know, 50,000 drachmas, that's more than five million pounds worth of scrolls being burnt in public. And everyone would have seen that and gone, wow, this is extraordinary. And what happened, verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So when you have done your acts of feeding the town in the pandemic, when you've gone out onto the streets and started just doing acts of mercy and justice and love, when you start in very simple ways telling other people about the fact that you go to church and that you're a follower of Jesus, this has an impact in an extraordinary way on others. We see here it transformed the city. And you are transforming this city. And I just want to encourage you to keep going because it makes a difference. People are lost and they need to be found. And God will do that through you. So when Christians live out their faith in the public square, there may be opposition. Maybe you can do that another time. The riot in Ephesus. But actually the impact is lives transformed and the whole region changed.
changes. And the interesting thing is it's unstoppable. It just keeps on going and growing and growing. So we've got, how did it change? By making disciples in Jesus, by taking their faith into the public square. And the third thing we see here, of a whole region transformed, is that there was an intentional planting of churches um, to reach new groups of people. So have a look again at verse 10. It says this. The, the sessions in the, daily, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So just, just think about that for a moment. In Western Turkey, all the people heard the word of the Lord in that region. Now we know later on that Paul never left the city. He stayed in Ephesus for that two or three year period. Never left the city. And yet all the Jews and Greeks, all the people who lived in that province, heard the word of the Lord. How did that happen? Well, you take a step back and you begin to start asking some questions. So Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven churches that are um, written to by Jesus through the Apostle John. These were all churches that were planted during this period of time. We hear about Epaphras, who is one of the people in verse um, 22. I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province a bit longer. So Erastus is actually, um, you know, he's a helper with Timothy. He might have been, uh, you know, he's clearly people who Paul has raised up to do church planting and, and evangelism. There's a guy called Epaphras, who we know was from Colossae. It's one of the churches in uh, the province of Asia. He must have been on business or something like that in, in Ephesus because he meets Paul. And he ends up, he obviously became a Christian. He's discipled by Paul because we know that then he's sent back and he plants three churches. He plants the church of Colossae because it's mentioned in the book of Colossians. He also plants Hierapolis and Laodicea. And that's also mentioned there. So Paul is training people and sending them out to plant churches all over the region. So what does that look like in practice? Well, on this map, you've got um, uh, Antioch in the bottom left-hand corner. That's where Paul originally came from in terms of church planting. And you've got Ephesus on the left-hand side of, the, of, Asia, of, of Turkey. And that, those kind of purple blobs are the first mission journey. That's, you know when Paul writes to the Galatians... Those are the churches that he planted in those specific places. And over a period of time, they would have influenced their area. So people would have heard the gospel and people would have come to faith. So on the third journey, this one here, we see all of these churches planted. So you've got, um, I'll just read them out, um, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Hierapolis. These are all cities in like an arc around the side of Ephesus. Paul has talked to people about Jesus, discipled them, trained them in church planting, sent them out and to just get started and plant churches themselves. So he, he did that over a two to three year period. So these people are not like, 
a long discernment period, going to college for three years, then becoming a curate for three years, and then having a go at something. No, it's like people like you and me, who, um, well, not like me, because I've had loads of training, so like you. And <laughs> um, just going, well, you could be a church planter. Is it going to look like this? Probably not. Because most of the church planting started in a home. It started like in a group. A few people who say, let's encourage each other, let's disciple each other to follow Jesus. Let's do it in a slightly public way, so if other people hear about it, we can invite them in. And as the group grows, we could then start a new group, and um, we'll need some new leaders for that. And then as those groups grow, they could go into four, and then maybe every so often we could get together, and we could call that church. In fact, we could call that small group church as well, but let's, you know, as we gather, let's keep on growing and multiplying. And then a whole city begins to be influenced because of something that started like a mustard seed and grew and grew and grew until it's something that was actually big enough for everyone to be able to see. That's how the kingdom of God works. You and me, normal people who just say, Jesus, I just want to grow in my faith. I want to grow to follow you more. And actually, it's not just about me. Could I help you to do it? Could I help the person sitting next door to me to grow in their faith? And could we do that with other people? And could that begin to start something which is extraordinary? So I think that's what's going on. And the thing is, this is happening again all over the place in this country. So this is, um, Preston Minster is what's called a resource church. So there are 137 resource churches in this country at the moment. 15 years ago, there were none. So this is a new kind of church in the Church of England. And why is it different? Well, it's, it's mandated to do something different as a church. So most churches look after the people in their area. They're called a parish in the Church of England. Resource churches are called to do that, but also they're called to send people to start new churches or renew old ones, revitalize an old one. And you've done that already a few times. And this is not just about starting a new church or renewing an old one. It's about saying, actually, could we do that and could they do the same? Do you remember like making disciples that multiply? Could we do something that multiplies so that they do it again and they do it again and they do it again? And the thing for resource churches, they keep on doing it again and again and again. And God has called you to do it again and again and again. It's very costly. Um, when we planted, actually, a lot of, um, we left a lot of friends behind to go and do this new thing. Uh, when we started, there were only three children in the church. That was our children. And it grew into a flourishing children's church. They're always older than our children. It's one of the things for our family. But you ask our children now, and they say, we loved church planting. So there was something, you know, something for all of us. It's costly, but also it's amazing to see new people come to faith, people coming back to faith, and people growing as Christians to know Jesus more and more in their lives. Um, some, one of the new things, that's resource churches, but also um, a, you know, the, the Church of England is saying, we don't just want to be like large churches like this. We want every parish to start something new, to reach new people. There are 12,500 parishes, so let's say 80% of them get involved. That would be 10,000 new things happening across the country. So something called Myriad, which is something we um, are encouraging in the centre I work in, which is just getting norm, not ordained people, but people like you, again, not me, I'm ordained, people like you, <laughs> 
to start something in your home or in a community and saying, actually, let's do this thing, like with these groups, to reach a new group of people who would never hear the gospel otherwise. If that happens across the country, there'll be 10,000 new churches. 10,000. It's extraordinary. That's the Church of England. We're, we're kind of a bit slow with some of these things sometimes, and we kind of really kind of hesitate to break new ground. But the Church of England is doing this. It's not just the Church of England. There are other denominations. The AOG, Assemblies of God, they have plans to plant 1,300 churches by 2033. Vineyards have got plans to plant 300 churches. You've got these different movements that are saying, we want to start planting churches. God is doing something new in this country, and you're a part of it. Whether you like it or not, you're a part of it because you're here. <laughs> and the thing is, actually, just by praying here, you're joining in with that. But one of the things that God might be saying is actually, in the future, could you be one of these people who is part of something new, that's reaching new people in new places in new or renewed ways? And here's the thing. If you just happen to move house, don't just move, don't just leave. Why don't you say... God, I want you to send me. I want to go with purpose to the place I'm moving to. Or it might be that actually I want to go with purpose with where I am. To say actually my neighbours could be people who need to hear, well they do need to hear the good news of Jesus. Could you be asking me to love my neighbours in that way as well? So how is a region transformed? Well we saw in Ephesus that Paul started making disciples, he made disciples, he made disciples, he made disciples. That was clearly part of it with groups and, and, and uh, disciple-making. They took their faith out into the public square and it had an impact on people around them. And they intentionally planted churches, not just in their city, but across the whole region. And a result, every, as a result, every person in that whole region, in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't mean they all became Christians, but they had the chance to hear the gospel in a way that they could relate to. And God is doing that again. He's doing that with us. God calls us to not just look at our own faith, not just look at actually what's going on here, but to say actually how could we be a part of a region transforming movement that makes disciples, that takes faith into the public square and that plants churches intentionally to reach new people in new and renewed ways. That's what God is doing and he invites us to step into it at whatever stage we're at. And so with that, I just want to encourage you, let's stand, shall we, and I'm going to pray. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.